Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Biden gifts the GOP. He may appeal the mask emancipation. Justin Haskins, director of the Socialism Research at the Heartland Institute, joins me to talk about a lot of interesting things. DeSantis versus the Disney battle is people versus the Long March Warriors. And Durham keeps on digging HRC, the target. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk to today's First Five. I'm Debbie George Addis. The Biden administration has now had three announcements out about what they're going to do in response to the federal district court judge ruling that the CDC lacked the authority to issue the order demanding requiring that American citizens wear masks on airlines and other public transportation. The decision was not on the basis of whether masks work or they don't work in, in terms of stopping the spread of the virus. We talk about that in the show many times about the uh, doctors who have spoken up and just said, you know, it's a med school 101. Viruses do not stop the spread of viruses. Uh, excuse me, masks do not stop the spread of viruses. But the court's decision was, the, the district court judge's decision was premised on the idea the CDC lacked the authority and failed to follow appropriate procedures before rendering this order, issuing this order relating to wearing masks on airlines. Yesterday, we played just one recording of people who were on an airplane at the time the announcement came out from a pilot, from there were other, there were numerous people who happened to record uh, the announcement made midair that essentially the mass mandate had, mandate had been shut down. They had the air, flight attendants and pilots announcing it. One pilot said, "This is the hap best announcement I ever made." And so, you know, pretty much euphoria. People were just extremely happy about the mask mandate going away, taking their masks off mid-flight, loving it. So the Biden administration is in a bit of a pickle because this demand that Americans wear masks, which has really been going on for, you know, we're coming up on two years. We are at two years of various forms of what I truly believe is tyranny, unjustified government control over individuals' lives. And this is a uh, cornerstone of the effort of the anti-American left to shift our society away from a society that retains a presumption of freedom, as guaranteed in our Declaration and Constitution, toward a society that is more and more controllable by a federal government who is expanding its power to control the lives and the personal liberty of individuals. Short story, America is thrilled. The vast majority of Americans are thrilled to have the mask mandate lifted. This is not to say if individuals choose to wear a mask for any reason at all that they are prohibited from doing so. You and any other American can wear a mask 
the rest of your life if you'd like to everywhere you go. You're allowed to do that. And many, and I never wear, I never mock those who do wear masks because you may have reasons other people don't know. If you feel safer, you should do it. But the point about the mask mandate has always been the tyranny, the unjustified exercise of federal government power. So here's the Biden administration. America, I, I mean, they, the, you know, the, the horse is out of the barn. The people are happy. They're celebrating videos all over the Internet of people celebrating. And the Biden administration does have some of the, I saw one author was calling them the COVIDians, the uh, people on the American left, and maybe of any political background, but the people who love not just wearing a mask, but they love having mask mandates forced on others. So Biden administration first just uh, had kind of a floundery reaction, uh, floundery reaction, then said they may were going to pursue an appeal. What they've now said is, they're putting the decision about whether or not uh, Biden's DOJ should appeal this ruling off into the hands of the CDC. This is a major punting by the Biden team. They actually don't want to be responsible because they know the mask mandate is unpopular and the CDC does not want to have to go through all of this and be the bad guy. But right now, Biden is saying the CDC is, is the one. If the CDC urges the Biden team to go forward with an appeal, then they will. What I want to say to you in wrapping up our first five is this. No matter how it comes up, the GOP wins. The freedom lovers win. Because right now, the people are thrilled to have the mask mandate lifted, and they definitely connect the mask mandate with the Biden administration, who's been pushing all sorts of tyranny on American citizens related to COVID. So if they appeal this decision and the, uh, the circuit court, you know, this is a federal court that made this ruling. So as a federal district court would go to federal circuit court, if a federal court, a circuit court says, no, actually, the district court was wrong. The CDC had plenty of authority. They surely can. And there's some argument uh, legally that that may be the answer, that a, an appeals court may say the CDC did have the right, uh, the jurisdiction and authority to issue that ruling. The people end up mad at the Biden administration. It, it's a wonderful thing. Or if they appeal and the appellate court says, absolutely, this judge is right. They never had this authority. This was outrageous. I'm just telling you, the Republicans win the battle either way. And this one, and, I, and I, so I actually kind of hope, I think that the Biden administration decision to appeal this ruling out of Florida really will be a gift to the GOP, no matter how it comes out on appeal. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. I mentioned before the start of the show, we have a guest joining us, um, and I, I, I really do enjoy having these people who are uh, serious, substantive thinkers. The gentleman's name is Justin Haskins. Um, he is with the uh, Heartland Institute, uh, and we've had other experts on from Heartland Institute. Before we bring him on, I just want to um, show you two books of which he's been part of writing. Uh, one is one he wrote on his own. His own. This is this book. Uh, it's called, and I, I love the title. I didn't even have to read it. I did read it, but... It's called Socialism is Evil, which is a true story. And the, um, the subtitle is The Moral Case Against Marx's Radical Dream. We'll talk briefly about that. That was a book from 2018. This gentleman, Justin Haskins, also co-authored with Glenn Beck this book called uh, is, uh, the, uh, the Great Reset, uh, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. Great book, Glenn Beck book, uh, co-authored by this gentleman, Justin Haskins, about to join us. Uh, and a little bit more about him and Heartland Institute. Heartland Institute is one of the nation's leading uh, free, tank, free market think tanks, national nonprofit research and educational organization uh, based in Illinois. 
been around since 1984. Justin Haskins is the director of the Socialism Research Center. And by the way, I love the organizations actually study what socialism is and what it does to formerly free societies. He's also the editorial director at the Harlan Institute. Um, he's the author, of, of, in addition to the two books I mentioned to you, he was also a first contributor to Glenn Beck's Arguing with Socialists from 2020. And I have to say, Arguing with Socialists, it's like the subtitle should be, which is a futile exercise, so do not ever bother. But in any case, it was a, he helped with Glenn Beck's book on that. Um, he's a widely published author. He writes wonderful columns at the Heartland Institute. And I want to talk with him today in the 20 minutes we'll have really about the, uh, the dedication he has to exposing socialism, uh, what his message is from his first book uh, about the Great Reset, all the reasons that the Great Reset is problematic, uh, and also about some pieces he recently wrote uh, that were published at the Heartland Institute. So let's welcome to the show Justin Haskins. Hi, sir. Hello. Good to be with you. Glad you could join me. Thank you so very much. Um, you are you're really, you are a very fun writer. I mean, you, you write in a really engaging way, and I appreciate that very much. Um, because Thanks. honestly, yeah, because a lot of times, especially political books can get really dry and uh, just kind of, you know, nodding off reading them. Yours are not like that. So um, I do want to talk about your Socialism is Evil book. And your basic point, I tell listeners, um, I confess I got it on Amazon. Uh, you can probably find it other places, but you can get it there. So... I want to talk with you about, because I say that all the time, socialism is evil. And there are many ways in which it's evil. But I like you to talk about, you basically said, we're talking about, or trying to focus on the idea that socialism is evil because of the moral implications. I just want to you just kind of summarize what you're, what you're saying about that. Yeah, so really, it's a very simple book. It's not very long. The argument is meant to be made very quickly to anyone who's willing and open to listening to it. Uh, essentially, it's this. Anytime you collectivize, uh, which is what socialism really is, it's the collective ownership and management of property, either in industries or across industries for a whole economy that depends on what society you're talking about and the time period you're talking about. But socialism at its core is always the collective ownership and management of property. Whenever you do that, you create massive, massive moral problems because any kind of minority in that society is forced to go along with whatever the majority, and this is assuming you have an actual democratic social society, which almost never exists when they put these things out. You always have um, authoritarianism develop in a socialist or communist society. But even if you could have a democratic socialist society, and even if socialism could theoretically work and you wouldn't have people starving in the streets and you wouldn't have people's rights being taken away from them and you wouldn't have them losing access to firearms and things like that. Again, all these things always happen every time there's a socialist society. But even if all of that could be avoided, you would still have a deeply immoral system because all of the minorities in society would be required to go along with whatever the majority wants. So in the case of abortion, for example, in a single-payer healthcare government-run system, you either have abortion or you don't have abortion. And if you do have abortion in a socialist system, then everybody who believes abortion is wrong, whether it's for religious reasons or just moral reasons, personally, whatever the case may be, is forced to not only live in a society where abortion is happening, but they're forced to actually pay the doctors to perform the abortions. They're forced to actually own the abortion facilities. They're forced to participate through their hard-earned wealth and labor in that system. And the same thing would be true for all sorts of different things. One of the examples uh, I use in the book um, is when the Obama administration put out Obamacare, 
And one of the mandates they had was that you had to cover abortion in uh, for healthcare. And they were they were trying to they got into this huge le- lawsuit with uh, with nuns who were fighting the Obama administration mandate because it's against their religious beliefs to provide contraception and abortion. And that's exactly what the Obama administration was trying to do, because that's what happens anytime you socialize even part of some of these really important industries. And so that's really the core of the argument is no matter there's really no way around it. If you have the collective ownership and management of property, then ultimately you're going to run into these moral issues where people are forced to violate their beliefs. And I think anytime you force people to violate their deeply held moral or religious beliefs, you are engaging in an act of evil. I love that. I love calling it evil. I also love the point I've, among many reasons and arguments I've made about socialism versus America, is this idea in America, the core notion from our founding was that individuals are, they, we are all equal, which is a wonderful thing to have said, especially at the time it was written, the declaration was written, we're all equal, no monarchies, no ruling class. But we also have inherent rights from God, inalienable rights from God. I always add, simply because you were born, you have these rights. And so what America tried to do as a country was to say, we're going to build a system around this promise of honoring the individual's right to live in freedom as far as possible, to live in freedom and pursue your version of life, liberty, and your version of happiness. And this is this is an impossible uh, thing to square with or work with within socialism. You had great other examples in your book. You had Hindus or hamburgers, or even if it's not um, about religion, you know, PETA, the people, uh, people for Ethical Treatment of Animals, they would be forced to be funding for the processing of animals to be eaten. So I, I love the moral argument about socialism because, you know, why it's so good, and I want to allow you to respond to this point, but when people make economic arguments about socialism, or they even make historical arguments, they will look what happened in North Korea, look what happened in China, look what happens in Cuba. The answer of so many people is, well, they didn't do it right. They didn't do socialism right. We would do it right. And somehow, then, then you're down the weeds of arguing about how you do it right versus this is kind of an inherent characteristic of socialism is it is immoral. I'd love to have you respond to that. Yeah, that, that's a great observation. When I was working with Glenn Beck on the Arguing with Socialists book, we went through basically every argument we have ever heard from socialists. And we talk about all kinds of different things. But ultimately, you're right. When you meet a hardcore Marxist socialist who actually has done their homework, a lot of them haven't, they will always revert back to, well, socialism the way that I believe it should be run. That's never happened before. Or what Karl Marx's utopian communism, where there really is total collective ownership of all property in society, that's never happened before. And because it's never happened, you can't use, in their argumentation, you can't use Venezuela or the Soviet Union or the Communist Party of China and point to these things and say, well, look at how horrible this has all been historically. They'll say, well, that's it's never happened that way. So what I wanted to do, um, and this book really was came out of the problem that you just talked about. It came from arguing with actual socialists about this issue is say, okay, let's just assume that all of those things can be avoided. All those problems can be avoided. You still have this moral problem that you cannot escape unless everyone agrees about everything. That's the only way around it. And of course, that will never, ever, ever in a billion years happen. I have had some socialists argue that if we had a truly communistic socialist society, everyone would agree on just about everything. I have heard that argument, but it's insane. It is insane. And you know, the other thing that I, I, 
you know, I, I have loved America, the founding of America, the ideas of America. I'm always talking about those on the show. On the show, one argument that you get to from people is, well, there's stress on the rights of the individual. It, and it's really Ayn Rand went on and on about the individual and the rights of the individual. It carries the it can carry the connotation that you're encouraging people to be selfish. You, know, you shouldn't just think about yourself. You should think about everybody else. And so this focus on in, within freedom and free markets and capitalism and America on the individual it has a selfishness to it. But actually, that's a, another false argument. Just the idea that it's not selfish to say I want to have my rights and my beliefs and live my life as long as I'm not stepping on your toes. I want you to have the same thing. You can live next door and practice a different religion and eat different food and believe different things. That's the beauty of respecting individualism society-wide. It's not, it's not a selfish thing, as some socialists will argue. That's exactly right. Yeah. Collectivism yeah, that, isn't necessarily generous. No, no, absolutely not. It never ends up being generous. You always end up with a class system, which they say they're trying to avoid, where the people who have control of all of the wealth end up being people who are in government, the people who are in the military, and they usually start killing people who disagree with them. That's usually how things go, and it's because socialism is fundamentally in opposition to human nature, and that's why it never works. Yes, it is. Okay, now let's transition to the Great Reset. Because that's a really interesting thing in the Great Reset. There's so much conversation about it. I mean, I love talking about it. I have all sorts of folks on talking about it. And yesterday we were piling on Dr. Harari, who is the uh, amazingly a top advisor to the World Economic Forum, to Klaus Schwab, who's got all sorts of uh, concepts just eviscerating the value of the very nature of man, individual man, having an, a God-given identity. But, so, but, but leaving that aside, on the Great Reset, People have this notion that it is kind of going to be, you know, just kind of making things fairer. It's a great reset is a, a many ways of looking at it. But one is, it's kind of socialism imposed by the World Economic Forum or some other powers that be, UN affiliated groups. It's kind of a notion that individuals need to surrender everything they have or want because after all, look how great it's going to be when the great powers that be make everything fair. Do you think that's a, let me have you react to that before we jump in more deeply on, on the Great Reset. Yeah, I, I actually think that the Great Reset is much closer to fascism than it is to socialism or communism. And the reason for that is because, going back to what I had said previously, socialism and communism is about the collective ownership and management of property. The Great Reset is not trying to collectively own property. It's not even trying to collectively manage property. What it's trying to do is centralize the ownership of property, centralize the management of property, and putting that in the hands of elites, uh, corporations, banks, central banks, government, those are the people who get to decide how property is used. It's really all about a partnership between government and private corporations and banks and financial institutions and Wall Street firms like BlackRock working hand in hand together to accomplish the, their, their goals, the goals of the elites. And that's much more similar to what we saw uh, when we were looking at 20th, 20th century fascism. Uh, the big difference is that it's not a national fascism like you saw in Nazi Germany or in Mussolini's Italy or something like that. It's actually an international fascism. And so that's why Glenn and I call the book um, the rise of 21st century fascism, uh, because we spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what it was, and we think that fascism, a sort of international fascism, is really the closest thing to capture it. 
could not agree more. And I actually, when you're running to the litany of people who were these folks to have their way, who would be in charge of orchestrating everything, you didn't mention the individuals, the individual. You didn't rep mention representative government doing the will of the individual. It is all the, it's a ruling elite cabal just thinking, essentially, we're much smarter than the average schmo. We're much smarter than the average person. Just give us all the power. Give us all the money. We'll make everything right. And I have to tell you, I, I, I love the idea that you're attaching the term fascism uh, because that term has been thrown around, unfortunately, in recent years toward, uh, toward Donald Trump, toward anyone basically who argues with the left. They're called fascists. But this is actually an intellectual application of the actual history of fascism to what the Great Reset folks are trying to do. I love that. Okay, I want to go back to something, though, about um, uh, part of this whole Great Reset idea. Um, there was polling that you did, you and Heartland Institute did, along with Rasmussen, basically asking people, you know, this is a, the Great Reset concept is, well, you know, these businesses, et cetera, should have uh, products and services uh, that should be one thing they produce, or should they be part of the social justice agenda, the climate agenda? And it was really refreshing for you. For well, I, I love that uh, article. I printed it. I don't know if you happen to have it right with you. I don't mean to put you in the spot about it, but the polling that you did, um, that you and Rasmussen did, the people don't want this Great Reset. They don't want corporations controlled by this ideology of the Great Reset that says, let's just all focus on social justice standards, climate change. And I love to have you just talk about that, about the, that um, polling and what you found, what American people really want. Yeah, what's really interesting is that the argument that the Great Reset folks make is that everyone actually wants this. They want the elites to be in charge and that they're doing all of this for your good. See, they, if you just give them the power, they're going to make your life better and that you actually want to give them the power. It's sort of the greatest gaslighting uh, event that we've ever had in his human history, right? Nobody actually wants to give these people that power. And one of the ways that they want to enact the Great Reset, or the primary way, really, is through corporations. You get corporations to do all of your dirty work for you. Uh, and that includes big tech companies, that includes media companies, etc. Because you don't have any constitutional rights that protect you from Twitter, let's say, uh, just deciding to silence everyone. Um, or Facebook doing the same thing, or all the media outlets getting together and just refusing to report on the Hunter Biden story or something along those lines. Government can't make those happen. kinds of restrictions. I know, it would never happen. Government, government can't make those restrictions, but these private corporations can. Private corporations can decide, you know what? No one's allowed to have a gasoline-powered car. They could do it tomorrow if they wanted by just all getting together and deciding they're not going to finance it anymore. The banks aren't going to finance it. The insurance companies aren't going to insure it anymore. And they're not going to uh, uh, sell gasoline anymore. And all of a sudden, you can't have a gasoline-powered car. So that's the genius of the Great Reset, is it works around your constitutional protections and makes it impossible for you to actually engage in the things that you want to engage in. It's really the greatest form of cronyism that we've ever seen. And it's incredibly dangerous because there is no way around it if um, if all of the people who are in power are in bed with this Great Reset concept. And that's exactly what we've seen to this point. It's exactly where we are today. You know, I want to, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to watch the clock and make sure I get to all the points I want to make, but 
I love that you made reference to the idea that the original, uh, that the notion of what Klaus Schwab's writing about, what the uh, World Economic Forum type reset people are thinking about was, you know, COVID was one excuse. COVID was an excuse to usurp power and set up what they wanted. But previous, you also pointed out that climate change, and I, I have been all over this climate change thing, again, an argument that people, if they hear it, explain in terms of the reason that you need to give us this power is because there's this looming danger out there of climate change, and unless you give it all to us, to the corporations, to the to these, uh, you know, uh, I feel like they're just this, I don't know what the word to call them is, but these massive, powerful figures behind the scenes pulling all the strings, and climate change was a great excuse to just surrender your freedom, and so was, well, so was COVID, a great excuse to surrender your freedom. They need an alarming circumstance to cause people to be less concerned or less even aware that they're losing their freedom because everyone feels like they're doing a great thing, getting on board to help save the world. It's a, it's a massive psychological manipulation to get people behind these great reset things with these excuses of climate change and COVID emergency. Your yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And going back to the poll that you had mentioned previously, when we asked people whether they thought corporations should be getting involved in social justice causes, should be prioritizing uh, climate change as a main topic, a main issue. Again, this is something the Great Reset people are all saying is is what everybody actually wants. What we found was that the overwhelming majority of people said, no, we want businesses to focus on giving us products at the lowest prices or taking care of their employees or making um, uh, the best new innovative products or something along those lines, a traditional business uh, practice. They don't want them involved in climate change and they don't want them involved in other social justice causes. What makes climate change so important for them, and they're very open, the people who support the Great Reset, heads of corporations, head of the United Nations, heads of, head of the International Monetary Fund, Klaus Schwab, Mr. Davos Mann himself, uh, president of Microsoft, the CEO of of a whole bunch of different banks. The guy who runs Bank of America, Brian Moynihan, is really involved in this. Um, BlackRock, of course, is a big player, Larry Fink. What they all argue over and over and over again is that COVID was the golden opportunity. That's what Prince Charles said, the golden yeah. opportunity to push the reset button on the entire global economy. But climate change is the long-term justification. That's the thing that gives us the ability to rework all of society, not just for a year or two, not even for five years, but for decades into the future. And so if they can convince enough people that, this, that climate change is like an asteroid headed to Earth, and that we're all going to die unless we give them the ability to stop the asteroid, which is what they're arguing. Um, th if they can convince enough people to believe that, then we will give them that power. And then before you know it, we'll wake up and in reality, we'll have no freedom. All of the freedom will belong to people in Davos, to big corporations, to big banks, to big financial institutions, to Wall, to Wall Street firms like BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street. And they won't belong to people like you and me anymore. Justin Haskins, that was so brilliantly said. I love that. I love your book. I love that you focus on these kinds of issues. You know, one thing you mentioned, uh, uh, two quick things I'll try to get to. One thing you mentioned was, you know, that the people, when you are lured in by climate change and you actually think it is the, the asteroid headed to Earth going to kill us all, you would give up almost anything, any level of freedom. And so it's a, uh, just a, a monumentally important task for people who, who can do it, who are, have speak with legitimacy about who are climatologists or other scientists, 
to debunk the uh, idea that climate change is this massive, about to kill us all uh, if we don't do exactly what they say. And I think once people do grasp this, they do grasp that climate change is being used as an excuse to take away your freedom, they will be outraged and they will stand up. But if you're still afraid at home about climate change and you're afraid to drive a car and you're afraid to do anything, uh, any kind of uh, human uh, activity because you're concerned about climate change, the people who want to control your life, they've got you. I love it. Okay, so I, I love that point. Only have about a minute here left, so I want to ask you one thing. You, you were talking about Joe Biden, and, I, and Joe Biden ran as kind of a doddering grandfather goofball. But actually, his administration, I mean, seriously, he, people kind of think, well, how much harm could he do? He's like this, you know, he sniffs little girl's hair. He's a weirdo. But actually, he's very much, or whoever is really pulling the strings now in the White House, the White House is very much behind this Great Reset concept, correct? Oh, 100%. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. There's a long, long track record, and we documented in the book for anyone who's interested in seeing that, of Joe Biden supporting this, being tied to Davos, being tied to Klaus Schwab, uh, sort of the, the go-to, the two big pieces of evidence that can easily settle the argument quickly is, number one, John Kerry, who's in the Biden administration. John Kerry is the special climate envoy. It's a cabinet-level position in the White House, said that the Great Reset went to a Great Reset event and was asked, is Joe Biden going to take part in the Great Reset? And he said the Great Reset is going to happen, and it's going to happen with greater speed and with greater intensity than most people realize. That happened before Joe Biden took office, but after Joe Biden won the election. Uh, so that's one really easy proof. And the other one is that uh, at when COP26 happened, the climate change conference in late 2021, uh, John Kerry uh, got together in... Glasgow with Joe Biden, and they met with many of the key figures in the Great Reset movement. They launched something called the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, which has many people involved in that who are also involved in the Great Reset with the World Economic Forum. And they launched something called the First Movers Coalition, which is an actual official partnership. This is not made up, an official partnership between the U.S. State Department and the World Economic Forum. To do what? To help build public-private partnerships in order to fight climate change. Well, the World Economic Forum is the Great Reset people. They're the ones that launched the Great Reset campaign, came up with the Great Reset slogan, held all of the initial Great Reset events in June 2020 when the, when the thing first rolled out. And now there's an official partnership between our government and between the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. That's everything you need to possibly know. The idea... That, the, that they would be facilitating these relationships with the with G fans, the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, the idea that they would be saying that, yes, this is going to happen at Great Reset events, and the idea that they would be working directly with the World Economic Forum on public-private partnerships, a key part of the Great Reset, but that they're not in favor of the Great Reset, is completely delusional. Of course they're in favor of it, and the evidence is overwhelming, and there's about a million other pieces of evidence, too, that we don't have time to go into, but is in the book in case people are interested. Justin Haskins, I'm so grateful for you, for, first of all, for Heartland Institute, for your work up there. You are just stellar. What you write is so, it's actually fun to read, very substantive, very serious, very well argued. I do urge our listeners to, to purchase both books, Socialism is Evil, uh, and also the book uh, Glenn Beck co-authored with Justin Haskins, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. Speaking about what the left is up to with the Great Reset and, and Fascism, 
It's so important for people to understand, because I'll repeat my point from earlier, nobody likes feeling like they've been duped, taken, manipulated, and tricked. And once they do realize what's happening, they're more likely to stand up and speak up for their individual freedom. Justin Haskin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much. Great to see you, sir. Okay, so I'll tell you, folks, their website, uh, actually, if you go on our website, americacanbetalk.org, the articles I referenced are listed there on our homepage at americacanbetalk.org. Uh, on, on shows, drop down a list of links, and you can read those links yourself. I really urge you to read these things. I encourage you to uh, recognize that these things are, you know, while you're kind of in your busy life doing your job and taking care of the kids and driving to soccer practice and getting dinner on the table and getting your work done, all of these actors behind the scenes, they're all stirring this up. They're all orchestrating this essentially while you're sleeping, while you're not aware of what they're doing. And they actually do mean exactly what you were hearing Justin Haskins say, exactly what, you're, what you will read in these two books, which is these people actually do intend to control your life and take away your liberty and do it for, with excuses that they will claim, oh, we're just trying to help save the world. We're just trying to help save you. And the savvy people, savvy Americans are waking right up. So, okay, I want to welcome back just right now. I want to welcome back our radio listeners. You know, radio listeners, I'm sorry, I didn't get a chance to jump in before the break to tell you, but I'm glad you're still listening. Uh, my name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show is America Can We Talk. If you're listening on radio, I urge you to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and at that website, you can find links to past shows, past interviews. You can find our very popular Why It Matters series. You can find our blog posts. You can also watch the show live at our website, americacanwetalk.org. That's what I urge you to do. That was a great interview. We just, in fact, if you were listening on radio and you missed the end of the interview because it went to your, uh, your uh, commercial time, uh, please go back to our website. The interview will be up by tomorrow. Uh, stellar interview, stellar thinker about all these issues. So that was Justin Haskins with the Heartland Institute. Uh, great, great thinker about the Great Reset and lots of other things. Okay, I want to hit a couple other stories today. Um, one is I... Um, I called this, and I want to tell you why I called it this. I called it uh, DeSantis versus Disney Battle is People versus Long March Warriors. And I want to explain what I mean by that. So right now, of course, uh, you have in Florida, you have Governor DeSantis has called a special session of the legislature. He's calling them back. They have other issues. It's not just for this issue, but on the agenda, which in a special session the governor gets to set, uh, he has included the question of whether or not to remove some of the special tax protection and other legislative protections put in place for Disneyland. Disneyland was obviously a huge, huge boon to the Florida economy to have Disneyland placed in there, Disney World, excuse me, Disney World uh, placed there in Florida. Disney World is a hugely popular place to go in Florida. And you had the... Um, you had the uh, people from Disney uh, battling the governor over this uh, law that the governor is going to sign or has signed that relates to uh, sex education for uh, five-year-olds and transgender propagandizing of five-year-olds. I want to make these points because it's really interesting to think about and it's important to get this idea. So Governor DeSantis is elected by the people of Florida. The members of the, Texas, of the Florida legislature, the House and the Senate, are elected by the people. This is how our system works. This is how we get 
we the people retain power, is that we have elections and we choose those that, who are going to govern us. Those people have the right to make laws. In the state of Florida, these individuals in the legislature and backed by Governor DeSantis passed a law essentially to say, we're going to stop having sexual propaganda taught in kindergarten. We're going to stop sexual grooming of five-year-olds. We're going to stop, we're going to prohibit for three grades, or I guess it's four grades, kindergarten, first, second, and third. So it's basically five to eight-year-olds. We're going to take out of the public school system this incredibly, uh, um, uh, it's not just informative sex education, but very much a targeting of young children, a luring of young children as young as five to begin to question the current LGBTQ agenda world, question their own gender, question whether mommy and daddy are lying to me. They told me I'm a boy, but teacher says I can be a girl if I want to be. The governor and the legislature, at their clear understanding of what the majority of people in Texas want, I mean in Florida want, said, we're not going to have this done. We're not going to have a sexual grooming of very young children. We're keeping this sexual propaganda, propagandizing of the LGBTQ agenda out of the public schools K through three, K through third grade. So that law is rolling along. Disney comes along and in just a hysterical attack on the Texas legislature, Disney has come out essentially arguing that, and not, I mean, publicly criticizing the governor, publicly criticizing uh, the legislature for passing this. They went along with what the LGBTQ mob is pushing, which is to call this a don't say gay bill, which the bill doesn't even say that. But the point is, Disney weighed in, not just saying they disagreed with the legislature and the governor, but saying they were going to actively work to fight against this law that they think it's wrong and they don't, that they don't want to have any limitations on the you know, LGBTQ agenda being taught to five-year-olds. This is Disney's view. They are advocating for sexual perversion taught to young children. So uh, the response of DeSantis was, you know, let's actually look at all these great tax breaks. I mean, Disney gets an amazing, unique set of tax breaks and other legislative protection. Why do they get that if Disney is fighting you know, against the state? And so there have been conservatives criticizing DeSantis, saying, why doesn't he shut up? I mean, you know, Disney's, a, Disney's allowed to speak. They're executives. They have the right. They have free speech, too. They're allowed to weigh in. If they want to weigh in and say this, yeah, you know, just, just uh, you know, they, they shouldn't be punished. And I want to say I am 100% in favor of what DeSantis is doing. We talked on the show last week. We had Shi Van Fleet, the woman who grew up under Mao Zedong in China and talked about how she sees in the, in, the, in, the, in the American left's agenda in this country, she sees Marxism, socialism, communism being pushed. And she talked about it in the context of critical race theory. She also talks about it, in the, as she says, communism is invading this entire country, not just a little bit of a theory in one in school districts about critical race theory, but the whole communist ideology is invading our country. Among the, the primary things that cultural Marxists try to do is tear down the family, is to attack religion, the place of religion, in creating values, and, the, and, and to tear down families, and the family is the basic structural unit of society where parents pass along their, their, their beliefs and morals and values and faith to their children. 
What Disney is doing is participating in the long march through the institutions. That was the word given early, the phrase given early on within China first, and then carried over into America, essentially the idea that anti-American, pro-communist, pro-Marxist, anti-family, anti-Christian thinking had to be brought to America. Communism wasn't going to be imposed on America overnight by a military battle. But the long march through the institutions widely spoken of and recognized by communists, by Marxists, is the idea you come to America and you push all of these ideas, all these agenda items that are anti-American, and you push them in every facet of American society where you can find headway. So you push it in the schools, you push it in you know, kindergarten through uh, elementary school, through junior high school, and high school, and college, and grad school, so all of academia. And you push this anti-American, anti-family, anti-faith, um, anti-freedom anti agenda. You push it through the schools and the institutions and journalism and media and everywhere you can. And we're now in a place in corporate America where corporate America has been become a victim or else a participant in the long march through the institutions. Disney is part of that. Whether they are knowingly doing it, whether they are participating because they really are right on board with the long march of the institutions and the destruction of America as a country rooted in freedom, or whether they're just kind of hap you know, they happened onto it. The point of what I'm making is the way America is supposed to work is what is happening in Florida. The people of Florida and around the country want all of this sexual propagandizing of children taken out of the public schools. They want this sexual grooming uh, agenda of the LGBTQ, et cetera, groups taken out of public schools. They don't want sexual grooming of young children. And what, what you're seeing in Florida is what should be happening in every state where the majority of citizens agree, as they do in Florida and Texas and everywhere else. This is how the American system works. When you have Disney weighing in and saying, not only uh, do we happen to disagree, we're going to fight the legislature, we're going to fight the governor, we're going to stand up. We love sexual grooming of kindergartners, which is what Disney is saying. Do not delude yourself. They are encouraging the entire uh, LGBTQ sexual grooming of young children agenda. And this is part not just not a standing alone agenda. The entire long march through the institutions is the idea of pushing attacks on the idea of America, the founding of ideas of America, the, the, the foundational place of the family, the importance of faith, the notion of America as a nation that honors faith, that respects families' right to believe in their faith, to teach it to their children, the entire uh, American culture and society coming out of Judeo-Christian values is utterly hated by the left, hated by it. So this long march of the institutions, it wasn't just economic theory that, of pushing communism and pushing you know, uh, government control and ownership of property. It's pushing the entire Marxist agenda through American society and culture without people being aware of it, without them recognizing it. Corporate America has gone total woke, has gone completely woke. Disney's gone, not all of corporate America. Much of corporate America has gone woke 
as has Disney, and they do it in part because it's easier to surrender to the relentless push of the anti-American Marxist left. It's easier for these corporations to surrender to the left than it is to stay out of politics, which would be a great solution, or to stand up for American values. What we were just talking about in our interview a little while ago, Justin Haskins, talking about how you have what, what is really coming out of the Great Reset is not simply an economic ownership of the means of production or economic ownership and wealth redistribution. It is an, an effort for the entire capitulation of the idea of individual freedom, sovereign nations with representative government, all that eliminated by the Great Reset, which is very well, a very carefully chosen and an accurately chosen word, a fascist effort of the Great Reset supporters of those in government and those in major, uh, the, the major financial houses, the major corporations to say, we're going to control everything. So you have Disney down there in Florida going along with the woke agenda, not just issuing a policy statement or a press releasing, hey, you know, we don't agree with what DeSantis did. They're on the march. They're part of the effort. They are part of what the left is trying to do, the destruction of the foundational premises and promises of America. That's what Disney is all about. And they're discovering, fortunately, that many Americans don't want this. They don't want to go to Disney and think they're participating, aiding and abetting in the Disney agenda to push the LGBTQ, et cetera, especially the transgender agenda. They, they don't want to be part of that. And so what, what DeSantis is really up against is not just Disney, but it's the larger push of the long march through the institutions, including through corporate America, pushing corporate America. This is the leftist endless march to take control, pushing the leftist agenda even through America's corporations. And many of them capitulate. Many of them go along not necessarily because they believe in the LGBTQ agenda or the climate change agenda or any of the latest you know, foolishness coming out of the American left, but because it's easier for them to surrender and do what the left says because otherwise they get attacked, mocked, doxxed, and otherwise attacked by the American left. It's just easier to surrender. What DeSantis is doing in Florida is monumental. He's standing up. He is not budging. He's not swaying. And Disney is finally getting a little bit of a window on how out of touch they are with their guests, with the families that love Disney, the families that like to bring their kids to Disney World, the families that like to buy uh, the Disney movies, the families that, supply, that subscribe to Disney channels. They are finding out that their leftism, their anti-family attitude, their anti-traditional morality attitudes are actually deeply unpopular with America. That's what Disney's finding out. And the only way they find it out is if DeSantis stands strong and the American people stand strong and just say to Disney, I don't care how much you've gotten pushed by the left. If you're going to keep this up, we're done. We're done with you. So it's, it's very consequential what's happening in Florida. I hope to see more uh, conservative governors brave enough to do the same thing, just say we're not going to get pushed around by the woke corporations of America. We're going to stand up for traditional morality and for standing up for young children and families and parents, especially saying we're not going to have the LGBTQ sexual grooming agenda pushed on kindergartners. I'll probably say more about that, but I, I'm so grateful for DeSantis. He, he's really kind of a 
become a rock star governor. Okay, one more story, and I didn't get to the story the other day, and so now um, I'm going to get to this story at least in 10 minutes that we have left. Uh, but before I do that, I am going to get to this story. This relates to what John Durham is doing. God bless that man uh, who is continuing the special prosecution investigation. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I first want to make uh, three plugs for all of you listening. First off, you're listening on radio. You're going to go off at the, you know, three minutes. You'll go off at uh, three minutes before the end of the hour. So you're listening to Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk. Go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. For everyone listening, our website's the place to go to find more information about our show. You can sign up for a weekly newsletter. You can watch our past shows. You can watch all past interviews. You can read our blog posts. You can, you can really catch up with what this show is doing. I want to invite and urge each of you to consider joining America Can We Talk. It's a mere $50 a year, 5-0, practically free. You do it on the website at americacanbetalk.org. You can join there. You become a member. There's a members tab across the top. Click on members. Up pops join. You can, for $50 a year, you get a discount on our fall summit. You get discounted tickets for the fall summit. You also get discounts on the products we have coming shortly. But the main reason to join is to become part of supporting this effort I am making and I'm making with you as our America Can We Talk family to stand up and speak up for America. I invite and urge you to do that. You can also support this show by shopping online at MyPillow.com. MyPillow.com is a provider of amazingly high-quality products. And if you go to MyPillow.com, they have all sorts of wonderful products. We have sheets and towels and, and bathrobes and slippers, just really high-quality products. And at MyPillow.com, as you're checking out, put in the promo code DEBBIEG, D-E-B-B-I-E-G, DEBBIEG, and then you get up to 66% off on your order. And I'm telling you, I tell you these things because my husband and I have bought them. I am promising you high quality. WG as a promo code, you get up to 66% off. I get a small payment for the purchases you make. I urge you to do that. Great way to support the show. You can also go to HydroShot. You can purchase HydroShot at h2bev.com. h2bev.com. h, the numeral 2, bev, bev.com. Buy HydroShot there. I'm going to do a bigger pitch about HydroShot next week. I'll learn more about it. I'm understanding why I like it so much. But anyway, that another way to do that, HydroShot is a great, great drink. I drink one every morning, only available purchased online, cannot purchase it in stores. It has infused hydrogen, a truly unique process they and no one else has developed. It does actually increase your endurance, your focus. It's a wonderful product recommended me, to me by a doctor, and, and I, I love it. So those are the ways you can support the show. Now, the last thing I want to do before we, um, the last topic, it's actually a hugely important topic. But you remember we've talked many, many times about how the whole Trump-Russia collusion hoax was a hoax. I mean, absolutely made up. And so we had to spend three plus years of the Robert Mueller investigation and, you know, millions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of hours and hundreds or thousands of people questioned and depositions taken all to get to the conclusion, Mueller testifying before the United States Congress saying there's absolutely no evidence at all that Trump colluded with the Russians. Well, now here we are. So John Durham, who is a special prosecutor appointed uh, by Bill Barr to say, you know, how did this get started? Why do we ever think there was Trump-Russia collusion to start with? And I have to tell you, I did not have a lot of faith in John Durham when this originally was being uh, brought out. Did not, uh, didn't, wasn't sure he would pursue uh, what he was asked to do. 
but he is. And I want to tell you some really, really important developments to understand about what is occurring in the Durham investigation. So Durham is now prosecuting this Michael Sussman. And Sussman is a lawyer um, who was with, uh, with the law firm that Hillary Clinton uh, was using during the campaign. Sussman made an effort. He actually uh, approached, he, Sussman, approached uh, the DOJ and said he has some information that maybe, you know, Trump was uh, engaged with the, the uh, engaged with the Russian bank, was somehow, you know, doing something illicit with the Russians. So he, Sussman, pretends as he's exposing this to the to the DOJ, oh, you know, I just, I, I mean, I don't know if it's true. I'm not working on behalf of a client or anything. I'm just trying to help. Here, let me give this to you. So Sussman uh, goes, he goes ahead and he um, contain, he contends uh, to the FBI in 2016 uh, that there was a fraudulent link between then-candidate Donald Trump and the Russian government via Alpha Bank, A-L-F-A Bank. Sussman is now being prosecuted by Durham because Sussman lied when he said, I'm not operating anyone's behalf. This is just me, little old me. I'm, you know, I just came up with this. What do I know? And the fact was he was working to support the Hillary Clinton campaign. So the things that have developed just in the last few days, Special Counsel Durham filed something last Friday in court in which he said that when this approach was made by Sussman, the CIA determined... The CIA determined in looking into the case that the Clinton campaign lawyer, Michael Sussman, what he provided them, the alleged links that prove what he was trying to say. He's trying to say, hey, look what happened here. You know, this is, I don't know what's going on, but somehow there's really bad things between Trump and this Alpha Bank, Russian affiliated, that at the very time Sussman went to the CIA with it, that to summarize their terms, uh, the documents he brought, the proof he brought was not technically plausible, but was instead user-created. Let me put that in plain English. The CIA figured out when Sussman came to them in 2016, when the campaign's going on, that what he showed to the CIA wasn't valid stuff, wasn't anything really from the CIA. It wasn't anything from Alpha Bank and the Trump campaign. It was concocted by Sussman and his team or in other words, concocted by the Hillary Clinton team. The CIA knew this in 2016. That's what he's saying. And so I just want you to think again, all the people involved in this, at this level in the government, the CIA, the DOJ, the FBI, all of these people, there are layers of people who knew from the very beginning when Sussman came up with this, that it wasn't real. It wasn't true. It was user-created. And yet they allow the Trump-Russia collusion hoax to play out in the newspapers, to play out in headlines, to be a dark cloud over the Trump administration for all of the time, for nearly all of Trump's term. Headlines, suspicions, uh, prosecutions, never actually, to be clear, even though if you're thinking, well, there were prosecutions, none of those prosecutions were related in any way to, what the, to this Trump-Russia collusion argument. They were essentially process crimes. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I won't even go down that path again. Just for now, the crimes that people who were charged, charged with things 
were not charged in anything tied to what Sussman claimed happened. So this happens with Sussman that, that he's, they realized, CAA realized at the very beginning, did not, you know, they say, well, they didn't reach an ultimate conclusion, um, whether it was whole or in part, uh, genuine, spoofed, altered, or fabricated. Fabricated. This is referring to what Sussman brought them, but the CIA did conclude in early in 2017 uh, that it was not technically plausible, and what Sussman brought them did not withstand technical scrutiny. It contained gaps. It conflicted with itself. It was user-created and not machine or tool-generated. So Durham is saying all this to the court in a pleading. And Durham's also saying that there are people who, in the, this whole mess, they were given immunity, two people given immunity, to try to get the story out to understand what happened. But part of what Durham has said in this most recent pleading is there are five people associated with the Hillary Clinton campaign, five people associated with the Hillary Clinton campaign who cooked up this entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax who have told Durham that they're going to take the Fifth Amendment. They either did plead the Fifth, meaning they won't answer questions because they want to avoid incriminating themselves. They've either taken the Fifth or they've said they're going to. So Hillary Clinton is surrounded by people who can not answer questions in the DOJ and FBI. There's so much more going on in this story. Um, there's also plenty of new evidence that has emerged that the Democrats actually worked to turn the CIA onto their onto the president, to turn the CIA, the, the documents suggest Democrats themselves sent the CIA to attack Trump. And you know what, folks? We're almost out of time. I want to be sure to say for our radio listeners again, my name is Debbie Georgiatis. My show is America Can We Talk. Go online, find our website, americacanwetalk.org, subscribe to the newsletter, and come back every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk. Tomorrow we have Ray Raymond Ibrahim, fabulous expert on jihadist Islam, joining us. Come back each time. For the rest of our listeners, I'll tell you that there's so much more of this story. I, again, didn't get to all of it today, but I will probably next week. Tomorrow, we have a great guest joining us for our Thursday, our special Thursday show, full one-hour interview with Raymond Ibrahim, a wonderful guest and a well-informed guest, uh, an a internationally recognized expert on jihadist Islam and what the actual teachings of Islam are, how what Islam is doing around the world is being carried out, the same thing carried out as in the time of the founding of Islam, which is a forced, an effort to force Islam on the rest of the world. We'll hear more about that tomorrow. But for now, I'll tell you, as I do at the close of every show, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show. Uh, Biden gifts, and I do mean as in provided a gift to the GOP. He may appeal to mask emancipation. Judge's ruling was based on lack of CDC authority. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Not on mask efficacy or inefficacy. Biden administration punts the CDC. If CDC recommends an appeal, Biden administration will appeal the ruling. The bigger picture, the unmasking reawakens Americans to the feel of freedom. The vast majority will not want masks reinstituted, and appealing the ruling will be bad politics for Biden. No medical science has ever suggested efficacy of masks against a virus. The virus is just far too small. Nothing about the judge's ruling prohibits anyone from wearing a mask voluntarily. Deep blue cities still have many under mass psychosis, 
or mask psychosis who want to mask up and you know what? They can go ahead. Americans are relearning the meaning of freedom and the idea of limits to government's power. Can they, can they be manipulated by fear to give up their heritage? I don't think so. DeSantis versus Disney, people versus the Long March Warriors. DeSantis calls for a special session of the legislature to include consideration of revoking Disney's longstanding, since the 1960s, special privileges in Texas would open, excuse me, in Florida, uh, would open up Disney operations to state taxation and regulation. Big picture, DeSantis and the legislature are the elected representatives of the people of Florida. They are put in office to do the will of the people who voted for them. Disney is not elected by the people. It serves what it ignorantly thinks are the best interests of its shareholders and has gone woke along with other U.S. corporations unknowingly participating or aiding and abetting the long march through the institutions, the destruction of America's grounding in family and faith. Woke corporations are either misreading the American people or betting they can overwhelm them, and they're going to lose. Look what's happening to Netflix. I'll hit that next week. Durham keeps digging. Is HRC the target? Yes. Uh, the bad news is Durham's investigation is built around the dubious notion that all elements of the federal government, CIA, DOJ, FBI, acted honorably, honorably but were lied to by the Hillary Clinton campaign operatives. The good news is Durham's investigation is necessarily zeroing in on Hillary Clinton herself as a ringleader of a massive fraud against Donald Trump and against the American people. Take note, five former Clinton campaign operatives are taking the fifth. You gotta ask why. Durham is making serious allegations of user-created, fabricated, set-up evidence. Criminal culpability is obvious. Will there actually be accountability? Are the Clintons untouchable? And I want to make one more point before I sign off. At that last topic about Hillary Clinton and everything that John Durham is doing, it's not enough to uncover the people who cooked up the election, the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax. They should be exposed, prosecuted, and, and sent off to jail at, at, at any institution, anywhere they were, CIA, DOJ, FBI, anywhere else. People involved in allowing the American people to have to suffer through that false operation, the non-existent Trump-Russia collusion, they should be prosecuted. But an even bigger point raised by the Why It Matters and something I'll hit another day is this. There are just too many people inside the CIA, the DOJ, and the FBI who had to have known that the entire Trump-Russia collusion claim was an utter hoax. They knowingly, willingly participated in perpetuating that hoax for three plus years. Ultimately, the most important thing that can happen is to have those people exposed, prosecuted themselves for participating in this fraud. And ultimately, it does appear the only way that America is going to get back to a moral government is to have those organizations, CIA, DOJ, FBI, massive clean-out, massive removal of people at all the top levels, and a massive redoing of the entire organization. These federal agencies, funded by your tax dollars and trusted to run our, our nation's law enforcement, have been off the rails 
and participating in and perpetuating a massive hoax on America. It is not enough to simply expose the players who committed crimes. The people who participated in perpetuating this hoax on the American people, including federal government employees, lawyers, and very top leaders, all of them, need to also be closely scrutinized and probably prosecuted. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America?